There is no question of 1 billion, 2 billion making payment. For our internal resources, I'm very comfortable to make this payment. We have enough internal accrual to take care of all our debt payment. On the parallel, we have enough resources to raise debt, which is the regular business of ours, to make sure that each payment is made on time. Last 15 years, never this kind of raise, never been company was such a good shape. And never been this question been asked. In the line of fire, even corporate India's biggest survivor, mining billionaire Anil Agarwal is being defensive. But true to his nature, he isn't giving up that easily and fighting back. It is our business to take the debt. This is a machinery which is working. It is a company which has the track record. We have a huge, big company. This is a small number, but you're talking one or two billion. It's a very small number for Vedanta. On the face of it, that indeed may be so. But Mr. Agarwal's personal indebtedness in the backdrop of a global financial flux has cast a dark shadow over his principal listed company in India, Vedanta Limited, a homegrown BHP bulletin of sorts that has diversified across natural resources like oil and gas, aluminium, zinc, copper, lead, silver. Even though operating performance of his group companies have seen EBITDA and profit after tax both doubling over eight fiscals, Vedanta Limited stock has sunk 33% in the last one year over worries of parent Vedanta resources looming debt liabilities. So, that means the companies are solid but Agarwal's finances are shaky. Vedanta resources did nothing else and Vedanta Limited and all other subsidiaries in India did nothing stupid. This entire debt of VRL will be paid down comfortably in four and a half years. And if we, if we see a rally in the commodity prices for whatever reasons, like China reopening, we could also end up in a situation where this entire debted VRL could be paid back in three years. So that I would put it this way. In a bull case, the entire debted VRL could be paid off, completely paid off, including servicing, etc. in three, three and a half years. In a normal mm. case, we can say it's about four and a half to or probably five years. And in a bear case, probably it is seven years. So in this, we can work with the spectrum of three to seven years the entire debt at VRL can be serviced and fully paid off. That's Prashant Kota, Lead Analyst Institutional Equities at MK Global, who specializes in global materials, metals and mining sector for over two decades. Prashant is optimistic that Anil Agarwal, like always, will weather this storm. But the street overall remains jittery about his personal balance sheet even discounting the fact that Vedanta Resources, which is Agarwal's London-based holding company, has paid back $2 billion in the last 11 months. Why? Because Mr. Agarwal does not really have such a long runway that Prashant is talking about that lies ahead of him for payback. Really? Yes. FY24 that starting in just two weeks will actually be a make or break year for him. Because even after paying off that $2 billion 
Vedanta Resources is currently staring at a net debt of $7.7 billion. Of this $7.7 billion, over $4 billion of debt that is sitting in Agarwal's various holding companies and private investment vehicles are coming up for maturity. These are term debts, intercompany loans or interest payouts. Here's another factoid that will help you understand the urgency. He actually needs to pay $1.6 billion in the next three months, that is between April and June of 2023. Another $2 billion of bond needs to be settled in 2024. Bottom line, nearly a billion bucks of financing is needed on an SOS basis. So this year, out of the, let's say, 13, 14,000 crores that the income that they'll get from the dividend plus royalties, that mm-hmm. all of it can be used to pay off part of the debt and the part of the debt that they can refinance. But unless China's economic revival turns things around, the post-pandemic era of supernormal commodity profits could well be over. So... If Agarwal's dividends dry up, his ability to pay down debt may be impaired, forcing him to borrow more. But with the Fed giving no indication that it's done raising rates and existing Vedanta Resources bonds continue to drop in value, they're already rated near to the lowest rung of gradings, he might struggle to raise fresh money to refinance at reasonable cost. The cost of debt could be higher, no doubt. Versus, you know, if one had gone for a bond issuance three years ago, he would have got it at a 5% coupon. Now he's probably going to pay 9%. So, yes, the cost of financing, refinancing could be higher. I think they can bite that bullet. It's Tuesday, 28th of March. From the Economic Times, I'm Arjit Barman. And you are listening to The Billion Woes of Anil Agarwal. Or should we say, why does Vedanta hurtle from one crisis to the next? Google Vedanta debt and search results from 2019 will highlight the same issues. Cash crunch, ballooning leverage, the moment commodity cycles turn. It's 2023 and we are again talking about the same thing. In this episode, we will examine why Anil Agarwal is always testing the boundaries between right and wrong and why some people have started calling him a former maverick who increasingly over-promises but under-delivers. Repeated run-ins with minority shareholders, regulators, the Sarkar, judiciary is widening the trust deficit for sure. Nobody seems to be talking anymore that over the past 20 years, Vedanta has raised more than $35 billion in debt and equity. And it has not defaulted, though stared at rating downgrades from close quarters many a times. This is The Morning Brief. At this point, it's logical to ask, if debt is the problem, how did 
so much of it get accumulated in the first place. One of the reasons is that Mr. Agarwal increased his stake in Vedanta Limited from about 50% a few years ago to now 70%. That is one reason. And over the years, uh, as you rightly said, these are all capital intensive businesses. For example, steel, aluminium, all these assets are high capital uh, intensity businesses, the power plants, mm -hmm. etc. That needs a lot of investment. And he also wanted to increase his stake. The uh, capital intensity, the nature of the assets, as well as his ambition to have a larger share of a, it's a sweet portfolio that he believes is uh, promising. As well. And then there is shopping. Yes, you heard it right. Shopping. Agarwal has always loved to shop for neglected companies and mining assets. 14 in 26 years on last count. Some from even the government of India and then tried to transform their operations. But he has largely been using leverage as the currency. When money was cheap, such a strategy helped him amass a pile of fortune. But now the ballooning debt and interest costs have tripped him up. The inorganic route has been his success mantra. He had a modest beginnings and as a scrap dealer or trader and then he grew up the ranks. He lapped up assets as they came his way. Yes, inorganic expansion has been his route. And how has he been servicing all this debt all this while? The dividend is a major source of income uh, for VRL. where there is also some debt sitting in Vedanta Limited, that is the Indian registered company, that is serviced from the cash flows of Vedanta Limited and also dividends from Hindustan Zing. The debt that is sitting within India, that is Vedanta Limited, is serviced from core business cash flows, for example, like any other business does. The debt that is sitting in VRL is primarily serviced using dividends that they receive from their uh, Vedanta Limited principal listed company in India. So mm -hmm. like any, any other holding company, their dependence on dividends is uh, significant. But the problem is, this year alone, Mr. Agarwal has taken out 32,000 crore rupees through four dividends from his cash cow, Hindustan Zinc. In other words, a 300% payout in the current fiscal alone. End result, Hindustan Zinc, that has always been the group's ATM machine, spewing out 300 to 600 million dollars of EBITDA every quarter, is poised to turn net debt from net cash. Mr. Agarwal, of course, has a different take. We have been paying around 10%, which has been worldwide, been appreciated. And I like my shareholder to get cash. And that has been appreciated. The company policy, you know, well, tell me how many companies in India make 50,000 crore profit? But what he is not saying here, the biggest beneficiary of these payouts is naturally the company's largest shareholder. That is he himself or his own group companies. Trouble started mounting when earlier this February, Mr. Agarwal did try to secure his finances further. He proposed to sell Zinc International, a Vedanta group company with mining interests in South Africa and Namibia, to Hindustan Zinc for $3 billion of cash in phases over 18 months. He thought the seller, that is Vedanta Limited, is 70% owned by Vedanta Resources, 
so the lion's share of the sale proceeds can be used to take care of his personal liquidity needs. But the script did not pan out the way he thought it would, as the government of India, a near 30% shareholder in Hindustan Zinc, came down heavily like a ton of bricks. One round of objections already happened, uh, you know, at the board level itself when this decision was taken by the independent directors of the Vedanta board and, of course, at uh, Northlock's end. Despite that, this has happened and now we are given to understand that in the AGM, the government will be very, very definite and very clear that this cannot actually go through. This uncertainty triggered panic among Vedanta Resources bondholders to drive the price of its August 2024 bond papers below 70 cents on the dollar. From bond markets, panic soon spread among equity investors. At a fundamental level, much of the problem lies in the fact that apart from debt, Agarwal's empire has a complicated, ineffectual and inefficient corporate structure. All the cash are sitting in subsidiaries and the only way Mr. Agarwal can get his hands on them is via upstreaming dividend to himself or to other minority shareholders like the government of India, financial institutions or retail shareholders like you and me. But there's always a fine line in what is good for the company and what is good for its promoter. In this case, often they do not seem to be aligned. Agarwal has been toying with the idea of merging debt-laden Vedanta resources with its cash-rich Mumbai-listed unit, Vedanta Limited. That plan didn't go anywhere after shareholder pushback. So I turned to TMB's co-host Kiran Somvanshi, also Economic Times' in-house specialist on all things related to ESG, to help me understand how the group stacks up on that front. So the financial issues emanate from the way Vedanta has managed to run a cash-rich mining business and yet become so leveraged at the group level. The debt per se is not an issue, but the high indebtedness or the overborrowing that goes along, you know, and that coupled with if you have any operational issues or governance issues, that can be tricky for Vedanta's shareholders and uh, obviously impact the valuation. So instead of ESG, basically I'll term Vedanta's issues to be related to something like FEG, that mm-hmm. is like financials, environmental and governance. ESG is now becoming such a strong mandate that uh, earlier what can be could have been ignored no longer gets ignored. And it's been playing out for a long time now. Vedanta has had a history of tiffs with authorities and local communities concerning its operations in India and abroad. In the past, the company has uh, faced clampdowns at its uh, plants in different states in India. So we, mm-hmm. we would all recollect the Tutikurin copper plant, the Tamil Nadu Pollution Control Board had refused to renew permission to operate the copper plant. So it had cited dumping of hazardous waste in the river nearby and mm-hmm. uh, the emissions were an issue. So and, and the company couldn't do much about it. Same thing in Odisha for mm-hmm. its aluminium refinery at Lanjingar. Vedanta wanted to source the bauxite from the neighboring Niamgiri hills. And that hill was the sacred uh, place for the 8,000 tribal people that were living there. So there have been uh, allegations of human rights violations inflicted on those tribes and 
you know what followed was a long drawn battle of vedanta seeking legal and uh, social license so to say to mine that mm. bauxite you know that continued that continued for far too long for the company and a lot of esg funds globally also kind of exited the company or stopped investing in the company after that it's not just the green or human rights activists but other stakeholders who have also pushed back periodically Vedanta has uniquely been a company which has always had been loggerheads with its all its different stakeholders at different points of time. So on the governance front, the company's relationship with its minority shareholders has not exactly been quite benign. In 2014, the the listed company Kane India it paid 800 million dollars loan you know, to its parent company Vedanta, and that mm-hmm. raised doubts among the investors on the future cash utilization policy of the firm. Now, if you see, it's Hindustan Zinc. So, just the company is different, but a similar way of taking the money from a cash-rich uh, subsidiary and to help the holding company to take care of its debt is happening again. But just that, it's mm. instead of loan, it is dividend this time. Even even the whole merger of Kane India was not kind of going down well with the uh, proxy advisory firms because they raised mm-hmm. concerns over why a debt-free Kane India is getting merged into a heavily uh, leveraged uh, Vedanta. the shareholders of the cashrich business are basically being penalized so the same thing kind of keeps keeps occurring again and it just shows that the company is least bothered about all the flag that it receives and then i guess the ultimate i mean last two occurrences one is when they tried to delist vedanta limited in india the india listed company a month after the delisting didn't go through uh, they actually there was a tussle between a hedge fund investor of vedanta uh with the company because there was a loan of 956 million dollars given by Vedanta limited to its debt ridden mm. parent company Vedanta Resources mm. and uh, all this was rooted through a group company based in uh, British Crown Island of Jersey so it was mm. alleged that you know this all thing is uh, round tripping and siphoning of funds by the promoter company and things like that so right. so delisting was an important uh, you know milestone like that not happening was a big uh, hit for them and uh, the concerns have still remained delisting didn't happen but on the other hand it just added to his personal indebtedness which is now biting him even more at during a high interest rate regime of course exactly because the whole thing of promoter be- being different from the company and it's like the losses are of the company and the gains are of the promoter so Correct. that that aspect keeps coming out It's a very similar thing in 2019 there were concerns of corporate governance after Vedanta's earning release showed that the promoter family had picked up stake in uh, a South African miner Anglo American and mm-hmm. that was seen to be a little odd that why couldn't a mining company directly pick up the stake and why the promoter through his family office is picking it up so right. that also again uh, kind of you know tanked the stock badly the day the news came out Even if the company last year won the Golden Peacock, a global award for excellence in corporate governance, and also ranks among the top ten global metals and mining companies in the S&P Global Sustainability Assessment, not everyone is buying into that story. I spoke to Mr. J N Gupta, who is a former SEBI executive director. and now the managing director of proxy advisory firm stakeholders empowerment services and he kind of highlighted a lot of issues that we consider the issues with vedanta and and this is what he told me and of now there are three issues which are 
with untithe having. One is their proposal of selling Jink international asset from Vedanta to Hindustan Jink. The second issue that is there is the Hindustan Jink dividend. Third issue is this. They have bought a proposal before the shareholder and it is going to NCLT also of writing the reduction surplus to retain earning. And fourth is Vedanta Resources, the parent company debt related issue. When Vedanta Resources borrowed money from Vedanta as well as Hindustan Ching, there was a lot of noise. We also made noise because we felt that it was a very bad decision from the corporate governance angle. It was a related party. And since the debt was given through a subsidiary company, it never came for the shareholders' approval. So that we have still maintained. Now what has happened in this process of expansion or in the process of increasing their shareholding, Vedanta has put itself into a some sort of a, I would not say that trap, but they have created stress for themselves. Now imagine a situation, the same Vedanta was going to delist the company. And if they had stayed at whatever price it would have, there would be additional debt. When I talk about corporate governance and the issues that Vedanta is facing related to related party transactions and others, uh, if you look at the board, the, you have a celebrated board there. You know, the ex-regulatory head, Mr. UK Sinha is also part of that board. So how do you see that? And uh, why then the company should have issues related to governance? See, uh, if, first of all, you could have answered this question to Mr. Sinha. He would be the best person to answer but I would say I feel extremely uncomfortable answering this question because I don't have an answer because Yukeshna being a regulatory head of SEBI had been the pillar in the corporate governance as far as the circulars are concerned. Most of the changes happened during his tenure in SEBI on the corporate governance. So it is very surprising that why he is unable to implement those which he was preaching in SEBI. So the question should be best understand. But again, it is not necessary the celebrity board will give you the celebrity results. True. And you know, uh, there are a lot of groups in India or even business houses or even large companies who also have these issues of, you know, related party transactions. They also have a big network of companies that they maintain, probably unlisted. So that's why we don't get to know much. So when it ca- comes to Vedanta, is it being just flocked because it is Vedanta or... What What is the thing there? Like, isn't it something which is a practice which everybody does in India? Again, I would never believe in generalization and criticizing or praising at a mass. I would say that let us understand related party transactions. I would say in principle, related party transactions are not bad. It is only those related party transactions which are abusive in nature where I want to put myself in an advantageous position vis-a-vis other shareholders are bad. Say for example, if Tata Sons, Tata Steel is there and if they have to get a software done, if they don't go to TCS, then you will ask a question that do they not trust TCS? And if they go to Wipro and Enfield say that, look, they don't feel this. And if they go to TCS, we will say related party issue. So as long as Tata Steel is buying something from TCS at the arm's length, it's a fair price. I think it is a good transaction because Tata Sons can exercise control over both 
and say that you guys behave. But if it was with Infi or Wipro, probably there could there will be no exercise of control and probably if Infi or Wipro or any company is delaying that project, there will be nothing. So I would say related party, as long as it does not intend to profit a section of shareholder and the cost of other shareholder is not bad. But then the challenge is how to determine this. That's why people say blindly, don't do any related party. But then that, that is again an extreme position. So all these things are very really complex issue, but generalization will not give a right answer. Right. And how do you see the Vedanta issue finally getting settled? Like how do you see things there for them going ahead? So I would say going ahead, the two, three things they should have said. They should first realize that things have changed. They are not the same that were 10 years back where you can do anything and public will or shareholder will not notice and you will not be penalized. That is one. The second thing is that clean up as much possible, as fast as possible so that you are not vulnerable. And third is the time has come where you got to put your house in order on the governance front because governance will give you a premium. You look at any stock market today and see the companies and you will find just by the P multiple in the sector that which company is getting a governance premium and which company is not. And, and with people on a board, which is a very good board, probably they could do it. But then there is a problem. They, If you look at the Vedanta board, they have got two ex-employed as independent director. So that, that very clearly shows that probably speech and intent are at two different levels. But Prashant is optimistic as he feels the underlying companies and their cash flows are solid. And his prediction is aluminium demand will only rise due to lightweighting of cars. A copper, nickel, zinc will emerge as key to the growth of renewable energy, EV batteries and even chips. So therefore, the fundamental business case of Vedanta's mining story remains robust. We are optimistic despite the fact that aluminum is still not at started to perform to its full potential. If you look at the assets that PRL and in turn Vedanta Limited own, for example, the zinc asset, it is mm -hmm. a low cash cost asset. And even in a downturn, they can keep generating comfortable, positive operating cash flows. Even mm -hmm. in a very pronounced slowdown, they can generate positive cash flow. My take, Vedanta plans to cover 50% of its FY24 liquidity requirements internally and the balance through refinancing. But in this new global financial landscape, it won't be a cakewalk. And he may well have to part with his equity. Negotiations are ongoing with various potential investors, including Abu Dhabi's International Holding Corporation, a conglomerate that has high risk appetite, that had earlier backed Gautam Adani with a $2 billion check. But trust me, this is an option he's only considering as he has his back against the wall. Hurtling from one crisis to the next and living on the edge is simply not sustainable. Neither is leverage balance sheets of Indian promoters. 
Agarwal's second challenge is political. If he tries to force asset sales and incurs the government's displeasure in the process, his ambition to partner with Taiwan's Foxconn Technology Group for a near $20 billion semiconductor factory might come under a cloud. Already, that project is being watched closely by opposition politicians in neighboring Maharashtra, who have slammed its last-minute relocation to Prime Minister Narendra Modi's home state of Gujarat. Besides, taxpayers will bear half the cost of chip manufacturing units, and India's general elections are due next year. Influential voices such as University of Chicago's economist Raghuram Rajan, a former central bank governor, have questioned Vedanta's involvement, citing its lack of chip-making competence. Post the Hindenburg-Adani saga, the Modi administration is also under heightened scrutiny about entanglement of public purpose with private profit. So, the metals mogul Agarwal's top priority should be to stay out of the headlines for now. Any skirmish with any stakeholder will be suicidal at this juncture. You have been listening to The Billion Woes of Anil Agarwal with me, your host, Arijit Barman, on The Morning Brief. A big shout-out to Indranil Bhattacharya, our audio engineer, and Sumit Pandey, the producer of the show. Executive producers, Anirban Chaudhary, Anupriya Naya, and yours truly. The Morning Brief drops every Tuesday, Thursdays, and Friday and is available across all popular platforms like Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and Google Podcasts, as well as GeoSavan and, of course, our very own ET Play, the in-house platform for all audio content, including The Morning Brief. Like and share the episode and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. We hope you like listening to this episode. Do share across social media and spread the cheer. All clips used in this episode belong to their respective owners. Credits mentioned in the description. 